Amen. The book of 1 Corinthians tonight, if you have a copy of the Word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. As you're turning there, let me express my heartfelt gratitude uh, for your kindness in these days. Thank you so much for loving on my family and giving us the opportunity to come and be a part of your fellowship. This is uh, my wife's first time in Mississippi. This is my second time in Mississippi. And... Um, she loves it, and I do as well, and y'all have been so gracious to us. Um, I want to say that uh, I was hoping that one day uh, I'd have the opportunity not to come down here and preach, but to be able to say thank you to this church. About five and a half years ago, um, my wife and I were pastoring over in, uh, well, I was pastoring. She was with me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we were in um, a, a pastorate there uh, with, uh, together, and we had three little boys at the time. And uh, the Lord was leading me out of a church, and I was having a hard time throwing up the white flag. And as I was sitting there contemplating about what to do, I found myself over in Asheville uh, sitting at a baby's R Us in a parking lot, scared to death, not knowing what direction we were going to go, how we were going to go about it. And uh, I'm telling you this because I'm indebted to you. Uh, you say, how so? Well, that day I reached out to uh, your pastor, and he gave me some of the greatest words I think any preacher could give a younger preacher in regards to how to set, set, set away from a work. And I told him my concerns, how I was nervous and I was scared. And I was needing a word that day if I ever needed one. And uh, your pastor said to me, he said, Ronald, he said, God will have a meal barrel out there for you. And he said, you just be mindful of him and obey him. And I went home after having spoken with your pastor, and I spoke with my wife and told her that God had given us the green light, that it was time to step away. And we didn't know where we was going, what we was going to do. And that was in September of 2018. And fast forwarding over into February of 2019, my family came over to Ellenboro, North Carolina. We left the mountains where we had been raised our whole life, and in Ellenboro, uh, we took a small church there, a small work, and the Lord, all I can say is, has blessed us tremendously, and I want to thank your pastor, and I want to thank this church. Y'all gave us a gift uh, in those days, and uh, the Lord used that gift to encourage my family and to move us out, and now we have just moved into our brand new building last year. Um, we've had to build a new building. We've outgrown our old sanctuary. God is saving people in Ellenboro, continuously doing things. Um, just God gets all the glory, but we've seen hundreds of people saved in just the last four years at this church. And I just want you to know before I read my text tonight that there's fruit in Ellenboro to your account um, that you didn't even know about. So thank you, Pastor, for the invitation to come. I appreciate your precious wife and her sweet spirit behind every great man of God is a great wife. And she is precious. Y'all are blessed to have her here, just as you are your pastor. Thank you to all the f people that have prepared food, that have loved on us. And Andrew and Mary Beth, it's always a pleasure to be with you folks. Um, we'll let you borrow them, but you can't have them. Amen? Uh, they are precious to our church. Of course, I'm kind of biased towards them, but even if I wasn't their pastor, they're still my favorite singers to listen to. And so we love them. Tonight, I want you to look with me, if you will, please, over in the New Testament to the book of 1 Corinthians and chapter number 1. 
And on this final night of the Bible conference here at this church, I want to bring you a message that I'm sure you all are very familiar with and that this text speaks to us about the reality of the gospel, as does all scripture really, but particularly so here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. I do have a burden on my heart to give you something that I pray will live with you and uh, give you something to uh, consider in the days in which we're living. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, and we want to pick up reading there in verse number 17. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 17. The Apostle Paul says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us who are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. To save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, that know not many men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Uh, Verse 27, but God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. That's reading 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 31. I want to draw your attention back, if I may, to verse 17, 18, and 23 of this text, where Paul writes, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. It says in verse 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Coming on down into verse 23, Paul writes again, But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. Now it is certainly no secret when we read the writings of Paul, especially here in this first chapter of 1 Corinthians, that Paul was a man who was very much captivated and always fixated on the cross. It seems that everywhere he went, he preached the cross. Everywhere uh, he uh, ventured, every person he came in contact with, he preached the cross. Every opportunity he had and every problem he dealt with, such as what we'll see this evening, Paul constantly preached the cross. When it came to glorying, Paul said, I will glory only in the cross, Galatians 6.14. When it came to calling out adversaries of the church, Paul identified these people as being enemies of the cross, Philippians 3.18. 
When it came to sinners obtaining true peace, Paul goes back to the cross, Colossians 1.20. When it came to inspiring the church to have the mind of Christ and be humble, Paul referenced once again the cross, Philippians 2.8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So when it came, when we look at this scripture, we, we, we could read other scriptures as well this evening, but it suffices to say that Paul was consumed with the message of the cross. He always had the cross in his eye. And so in light of that truth and in light of what we have just read here before us in this text, I want to preach to you this evening on the subject, cross-eyed preaching. Cross-eyed preaching. And can I just say before we set the text in context this evening that what we most desperately need in our churches today is not culturally-minded teachers, but rather cross-eyed preachers. We need more cross-eyed missionaries, more cross-eyed evangelists, more cross-eyed discipleship teachers. We need more cross-eyed fellowship, more cross-eyed worship. We need more cross-eyed mamas and daddies who have cross-eyed children. We need more cross-eyed folks in the fellowship of God's people. A worldly-minded church that is not cross-eyed will always be cross-ways, not just with each other, but more so with God. And that's what we're going to see tonight in our text. As we know from reading the book of 1 Corinthians, the premier problem of the church was her unwillingness to detach or to unhook herself from her surrounding culture. Though there were those within the Corinthian church who were Jewish, the majority of their fellowship was comprised of Greek Gentiles. And according to Paul, it was these Stoic Greeks that occupied membership in the church who were causing much of the problems that Paul is having to address in this letter. And they're wanting to stay connected with the secular systems of their day. The message of the cross was not socially attractive enough to make the high-minded pagans outside of the church think much of these Corinthians. Therefore, in being more, more worried about what the culture thought about them, these Corinthians sought to take and to make the message of the cross more intellectually appealing by merging it and even equating it with the philosophical thinking of their day. And that's what Paul is rebuking in this text. All the division that the church was undergoing in chapters 1 through 4 of this book was all the product of man-centered, culturally-minded church. The, The Corinthians had broken themselves off into little cliques using the names of God's men and even the name of Jesus himself in order that they might socially platform themselves to look and sound smart. Paul says, you actually look and sound dumb. Reminds me of a story in the middle of the night, Sherlock Holmes Uh, nudges Watson awake and he says to him, Watson, look up at the sky and tell me, what do you see? I see millions of stars, said Watson. What do you infer from these stars, said Sherlock Holmes? Well, a number of things, said Watson. Astronomically, uh, I observe that there are millions of galaxies and billions of, of planets and stars. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately at quarter past three. Meteorologically, I expect that the weather will be fine and clear. What about you, Mr. Holmes? What do you see? To this, Sherlock Holmes responded by saying, Watson, you idiot, somebody has stolen our tent. (laughs) Paul is saying to the Corinthian church that you folks have been so busy trying to look and sound smart that you have failed to see the obvious, which is that you've lost the tents, you've lost your gospel. This is why Paul said in Colossians 2.8, to beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. 
Isaiah 55, 8 is clear that there is a huge difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of man. God's ways are not our ways. Let me make this clear. This is not to say that we as Christians shouldn't seek wisdom. I mean, it's sad but true. If you ask the average Baptist today, what is the biggest issue in the evangelical church? Is it ignorance or is it apathy? That Baptist will probably tell you, I don't know and I don't care. You'll get that later. The, the issue is not in seeking wisdom. The issue is in seeking wisdom outside of God. And in these verses that we just read, Paul is telling the Corinthians that the gospel is not compatible with the philosophies of their day and that when men seek to marry the gospel to the fallen cultural teachings surrounding them, they are in fact emptying the gospel in doing that of its power. That's what Paul says in verse 17 of our text. He says to, 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 the, to the Corinthians, he says, uh, Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. You see, those words of none effect, it means to be made void or emptied out. Paul said when you try to make yourself look smart in front of man by adding to the gospel, you then make yourself look ignorant in front of God because you are attaching his gospel to a fallen human reason, the same depraved human reason that the gospel is to deliver us from. We just need cross-eyed preaching is what Paul said. The first thing I'd call your attention to from this text is how that cross-eyed preaching is foolishness to those who are skeptics. Uh, The Bible says in verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Now the word foolishness is derived from the Greek word that gives us our English word for moron. The word literally means to be intellectually weak or irrational. Paul only used the word in this 1 Corinthian letter and he is using the word in reference to those who think that human wisdom is needful for the church. In reading historians such as John Frame, we find that Greek philosophy really came about sometime near the end of the 6th century B.C. as a reaction to the nature and Olympian religions that permeated the Mediterranean world. Philosophy, which means a love for wisdom, it originates with certain men who sought to think outside of their insufficient religious context through the avenue of what would later become known as rationalism. We could say a lot about this, but by the time we come to the New Testament, the Roman world was dominated with this kind of thinking, especially in highly populated cities like Corinth. There were a whole host of things that the Greek philosophers of Paul's day disagreed on, but one thing they all had in common was that they were all rationalists, meaning that human reason was their foremost authority for determining what truth is. To the rationalist, and Paul knew this, the message of the cross stood in direct opposition to their presuppositions of what constituted man as well as higher power. It was absolute nonsense to the Greeks to believe that a person can be saved by placing faith in a Jewish carpenter who was crucified between two thieves on a Roman cross just outside uh, uh, the city of Jerusalem. Uh, This was intellectual nonsense, absurdity. And this is why the church at Corinth was in such a mess. They didn't want to look dumb in front of the culture, so they sought out some sort of mystical affiliation between the gospel and the teachings of men like Homer, Plato, and Aristotle. Just like A.W. Tozer said, to try to find a common ground between the message of the cross and man's fallen reason is to try this the impossible. And if persisted in, much must result in an impaired reason, a meaningless cross, and a powerless Christianity. 
Why is that? Because the gospel cannot coexist with man's depraved opinions. The spirit lusteth against the flesh. Worldly reason, reasoning will destroy a church and it will destroy an individual. Paul knew this, which is why he said what he did in verse 20 of our text when he said, Where is the wise? Where is the scribes? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Paul said to the Corinthians, Where are these men that you thought had all the answers? Where is Socrates? Where is Thales? Where is Pythagoras? Where is Zenos? We would ask the church of this day the same question. Where are the rationalists? Where are the empiricists? Where are the materialists? Where are the existentialists? Where, where is Frederick Schleimacher? Where is Voltaire? Where is David Hume? Where, where is Karl Marx? I'll tell you where they are. They're dead and they're in hell. Even their foolish wisdom could not take them away from the judgment of God in death and also eternity. I want you to see this evening that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But secondly, not only is cross-eyed preaching foolishness to those who are skeptics, but you see also in this text that it is freedom, thank God, for us who are saved. Paul said in verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it, what is it? The gospel of the cross. It is the power of God. He says again in the latter part of verse 21, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The word power in verse 18 is the word dunamis. It is the, the same Greek word that Paul uses in 116 of Romans when he said that the gospel is the power, the dunamis of God unto salvation. Dunamis is the term from which we, we receive the, the, the English word dynamite. Paul said to the Corinthians, the, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to a lost world, but it is in fact dynamite for those of us who have been saved by grace through faith. Just like a stick of dynamite breaks the hard rocks off of the side of a mountain, so too does cross-eyed preaching break the sinner free from the clutches of sin. It's not the preacher. Paul makes that clear in these chapters. But it is the preaching of the cross. And I want to say that this is not the gospel that is coming forth from many pulpits today. We are preaching a Savior from hell, but not a Savior from sin. Thank God I'm not going to hell tonight, but let me say that Christ Jesus came into the world, thank God, to save sinners. Matthew 1, 21, the angel came to uh, the, the Joseph and he said in the dream that thou shalt have a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. One writer said it right when he said a person who wants a savior from hell, but not a savior from sin, has a savior from neither one. If I could quote the great theologian Festus, that water ain't going to clear it up until you get them pigs out of the creek. <laughs> Amen. If the church leaves the truth out in order to reach the world, the church is not reaching the world. The world is, in fact, reaching the church. I still believe in the message of the cross. I know, I know people think to this day, this is just not relevant. I understand there's folks that would look at us and laugh uh, being here on a Wednesday night when we got work in the morning. Folks would say, what are y'all doing? Y'all are a few fries short of a Happy Meal. I may be a nut, but I'm screwed on the right bolt, thank God, because I know in whom I have believed. I know what God did in my heart. And I know the gospel that Paul preached and it has so infected my life and affected my life and has so permeated my soul that the love of Christ constrains me to tell people that this gospel is real. 
You walk out of here tonight, there's people in Mississippi, no doubt, who've already drove down this road to get their liquor, to go get their drugs. What is the answer to their life, preacher? Well, it's not the liquor bottle. It's not the drugs. It is Christ Jesus. Jesus came down from heaven to redeem men from sin. They laid the Son of God in a feeding trough in Bethlehem's barn, but Jesus didn't stay there, did he? Took him to a house where he was greeted and worshipped by the Magi. But he didn't stay there. The Bible says they took him to Egypt because of Herod's edict. And, and while in Egypt, the Bible said he abode until Herod died. But he didn't stay there. The Bible says he then went up north with his family to Nazareth. And while in Nazareth, he was reared and raised in a carpenter's shop, no doubt. But he didn't stay there. The Bible says that he went south into Judea. And it was there in Judea he was baptized in the muddy Jordan River by his cousin John. And as he come out of that water, the Holy Ghost lit upon him like a dove. And the Holy Ghost uh, lit upon him and the Father spoke from heaven. Uh, a voice thundered from glory and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But he didn't stay in the Jordan River. He got up. The Bible says he walked out. And he went into the wilderness and was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. But he didn't stay in the wilderness. The Bible says he come out of the wilderness. And he called his disciples unto himself. Uh, but he didn't stay right there with his disciples. Instead, the Bible says in John 4, he headed north and as, uh, back up to Galilee. But as he was going, he went to Samaria. And a woman was saved at the well, but Jesus didn't stay in Samaria. The Bible says that he went on into Galilee, spent 16 months preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. But he didn't stay there. The Bible says in the fullness of time, he came down to Jerusalem. And while in Jerusalem, he was betrayed, put before a kangaroo court. Uh, and then he was taken to the house of Caiaphas. Then he was taken to the judgment hall where he was whipped and scourged, not for his sin, but for yours and mine. But he didn't stay there. The Bible says they took him up to a hill called Calvary. And he who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. But he didn't stay there. The Bible says they took him. And while hell was having a party, they laid him in the tomb of Joseph. But he didn't stay there. The Bible says on the third and appointed morning he got up victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And 40 days later he sent to the Father and he's now seated at the right hand of God on high. But he won't stay there. The Bible says one day he's coming back in power and great glory. Thank God for the promises of God that the church has tonight. What a blessed truth. What a message God has entrusted to his church. This is better than empiricism or rationalism or ecumenicalism. It's better than any ism this world has to offer. Uh, that's why Paul said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. What a message we have. I remember when I was 17 years old, I got saved on the side of the road. I grew up in group homes and detention centers and all that stuff. I had a stepdad that was a drunk and a drug head. And man, all he ever did was beat on me and beat on mama. And he was just a mess. He had been in jail for all kinds of different things. He was from Johnson City, Tennessee. He met my mom while he was on work leave from prison. They ended up getting married, and I was just his punching bag from the time I was six or seven when they got married to the age of 12 when I just started running away from home. And my life was hell because of this one man. I despised him. I hated him. I, I, he put boards over my window in this rundown trailer that we lived in. He, he, he hated me. And I'll never forget uh, when I got saved, my football coach shared the gospel with me. And long story short, I got saved on the side of the road at a tire station. 
And after I got saved, instead of going on and trying to play college ball, uh, I went and started uh, reading the Bible, and God was working in my heart and calling me to preach. And I finally threw up the white flag, and as I was waiting to go to Bible college, uh, we found out that uh, I was at work, and my mama called me. She said, honey, we know you got religion down there at the church house. My mama wasn't a Christian. She said, we know you got religion down there at the church house. She said, pray for Bernie. She said, they found some tumors on his liver. I hadn't talked to the man since I'd been saved. I didn't want to talk to him. And long story short, I, I said, Mama, we'll pray. And I went to go head to the house where I was living at the time. And all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost of God began to nudge my heart. And it was the Lord speaking to my heart, and I felt the burden to go talk to him about the cross. You had to know this man. He had long black hair. He had tattoos up and down his arm. He was as mean. I'm talking mean. Long story short, I, got in, uh, I took the, the car that I was driving down the river. I got on, went across the Alexander Bridge. I went on into Cedar Hill there in Alexander. I pulled into the driveway. I walked uh, on the porch of the trailer, and I went to the front door. And I remember, I'll just remember the front door of that trailer, how it was dented in. And the reason it was dented in is because he'd get drunk a lot of times, and Mama would lock him out. He'd try to kick the door in. And I was many a times I'd get up in the morning when I was a kid and I'd walk outside and he'd be sleeping in one of them chairs on the front porch. Long story short, I, I went into the, the, the trailer and Mama was in her nightgown. There was Bernie. He was sitting there beside that, uh, that old heater and he was smoking a cigarette and sitting there flipping that cigarette and there was Mama. She had been on the couch in her nightgown crying. And he looked at me and said, what are you doing here, boy? And I didn't even answer and Mama said, honey, she said, this may not be a good time. I said, Mama, I need to talk to him. I said, can I have a minute with him? And Mama stepped on back into the, into the uh, bedroom. And I sat down with Bernie. I didn't, know, I didn't know the books of the Bible. I didn't know any verses other than just Acts chapter 9 about a man named Saul of Tarsus. I sat down and I went to open my Bible. I had my Bible with me to Acts chapter 9. He said, I don't want to hear that stuff, boy. He said, I ain't scared of dying. He said, I ain't scared. And I remember him looking at me saying, I don't want to hear it. And I said, all right. Makes my job easier. So I'm going to get out of here. Because honestly, I was so upset at the man at the time. I just, I, I, I just, I wanted to walk out. I wasn't doing it in the right spirit. But as I went to walk out, I'll never forget hearing Mama crying in the back room. And as I took another step, my stepdaddy said to me, he said, what happened to you, boy? I turned around, and I said, do you really want to know? And he said, yeah, I'd like to know. I said, well, let me read something to you. And I read Acts chapter 9 to him about this man, Saul of Tarsus. I said, Bernie, I said, God, sent me out here tonight to talk to you. And I said, if you die right now, I said, you're going to go to hell. He looked at me, I'll go to hell. I said, yes, you'll go to hell if you die right now. And all of a sudden, that man, I'll never forget it that night. I don't know, the Lord was just moving. That night, that man looked at me, and all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I saw some tears start to fall down his face. And all of a sudden, the fear and the reality of death had so gripped him that he looked at me and he said, what does a man got to do, Ronald? He said, I went to church when I was a boy, and he told me all these things, and I said, Bernie, that's not the gospel. I said, we don't go to church to be saved. We go because we are saved. And all of a sudden, I felt a holy boldness come over my, oh man. And I told him, I said, this is what Jesus did. 
I said, Marty, I've, I've grown up hating you. I said, I remember you slapping mama on this floor. And I said, I went to these group homes, and I remember the places that I had to go because of you. And I didn't want to come here tonight. I said, but I come here tonight to tell you that somebody loved me. And I got saved, Bernie, out here on the side of the road at Shad's Tire Station. And I, the Lord led me out here tonight to tell you about Jesus. He said, what do you want to tell me about Jesus? And I shared the gospel with you about a man that 2,000 years ago came to this world and that he went to a cross in Jerusalem and he died on that cross for the sins of mankind. And the Bible says if you believe in him, you can be saved. He says, be saved. I said, yes, be saved. He said, what does that mean? It means you ain't going to hell. That's what it means. I said, it means that God will take you as you are. He said, boy, you know what I've done. You know the places I've been. I said, I remember that. I said, I know it. But I want to tell you what he did and where he's been. And Jesus went to a cross and he died for your sins. And by the time the night was over, that man, oh, had got down on that floor where he would walk in. That same floor when I was an eight-year-old boy. He'd come in and I'd be watching wrestling. And he'd be in a drunken stupor. And he'd beat me on the floor and slap mama down when she'd come into the house to try to protect me. That same floor, that man is now sprawled out on that floor begging God to save him and I'm telling you honey he got the real deal something happened in his life that night I went I went back to the house I was staying in and I got home I started praying and uh, long story short I tried to call the next day just to check on him and to see if he really got it and I couldn't get through on the phone line I couldn't get a hold of him and finally that evening mama answered the phone I said mama did y'all not pay the phone bill she said no honey she said Bernie has been on the phone all day. He's called to stay his youngins that he ain't seen in 20 years and tell them that he's sorry. He's calling people that he used to steal from and tell them he done got saved from hell. Hallelujah. And then mama said this to me. I'll never forget it. She said, honey, when you left last night, she said he set me and the girls down on the couch and he said, Brenda, I'm sorry for every time I hit you and slapped you around this trailer. Honey, something happened that night. Mama said, I don't know what happened. She said, but whatever it was, he's not the man that he used to be. I said, Mama, he got saved. That's what happens. That's what God can do. That's the gospel we preach. That's why I've come down to Mississippi to preach to you. That's why I'm at Jury Dobbins Baptist Church. That's why I'm preaching tonight. Because there is a gospel, thank God, an eternal gospel. And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away and behold all things are become new hallelujah no wonder the songwriter said alas and did my savior bleed and did my sovereign die would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my soul rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. Thank God for that joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. Thank God for the peace that surpasses all understanding. Thank God tonight there's hope that is alive. There's life and not just life but abundant Holy Ghost life that God puts in his people and puts them in the family washes away their sin under new management puts them under the spout where the glory runs out thank God for the message of the cross thank God for a cross-eyed preacher that'll tell you that Jesus saves sinners 
The only sin Jesus ever had was mine. And the only righteousness I'll ever have is his. He stood before the Father as though it was me that I might stand before the Father as though I were him. Imputed righteousness. I hasten to this final point tonight. I'm not going to get all these notes in. The wisdom of the cross, uh, cross-eyed preaching is not only foolishness to those who are skeptics, freedom for those of us who are saved. But I want you to know this tonight. Cross-eyed preaching is always focused on him who is sovereign. I want you to listen to what Paul writes here in verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world, the things which are despised, hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to things, to bring to naught the things that are. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. The wisdom of the cross, cross-eyed preaching, the gospel and its effects are all centered, listen to me, on the throne of God. The gospel is about God. The holy, eternal, immutable, self-existent, sovereign God of heaven in eternity past purposed in himself after the counsel of his own will that he would head your way and put you in the family of God. You know why you're here tonight? Because God wanted you. You know why you're saved tonight? Because God wanted you. No wonder, oh man, no wonder the songwriter said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Thank God the throne of God is where we find the emphasis of the gospel. God has decreed it. God has declared it. The cross shall be the means by which man has access to God. That's why in Revelation chapter 7, there's all that throne room activity with the saints. I'll close with this story. I heard an evangelist share this. This isn't my story, but I read it and I thought it was pretty good. And then I heard him preach it. I thought it was very good. But I read a story and I heard a man preach some time back of, of a police officer on night duty in a city in northern England. As he walked the streets, he heard a quivering sob. And shining his flashlight in the darkness, he saw a little boy in the shadows sitting on a doorstep with tears coming down his cheeks. The child said, I'm lost. Take me home. I'll be glad to take you home, said the officer. Where do you live? The little boy was so tired and so scared he couldn't even remember his address. The policeman began naming street after street, trying to help the boy remember where he lived. And he remembered that at the center of the town stood a church. Uh, or excuse me, he, he named the shops and the hotels in the area, but the little boy couldn't, could give him no clue, the officer, as to where he lived. And then the little boy, uh, the, the, then he remembered that at the center of the town stood a church with a large white cross that towered high above the rest of the city. And the policeman pointed to the cross and he said, Young man, he said, Do you live anywhere near that place? And the little boy's face immediately lit up. And he said, yes, sir. Take me to that cross and I can find my way home. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Take me to the cross and I can find my way home. God made you for himself. 
You were put into this world to know God. Brother Eddie preached it this morning so wonderfully. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. God made you for him, but sin has separated you from God. That's why if you're here tonight and you're lost, that's why you're sad when you go to bed. You can't get enough religion. You can't get enough of this and that from the world. It's all just emptiness. Isn't that what it is? That's the burden of sin in your heart. But honey, the cross is what brings you back to God. You see, the cross, that's the intersection between God's, between God's perfect justice and his holy love. That's what the cross is. It represents, it represents God bringing man back to himself. And that's why Paul said, I preach the cross. Isaac Watts wrote the words of the old hymn, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt upon all my pride. God help us to never lose sight of the cross. I'm talking to you tonight about cross-eyed preaching. Paul said it's foolishness to those of us, to those who are skeptics. It's freedom for us who are saved. And it's always focused on him who is sovereign. Let's stand together tonight. Andrew and Mary Beth, as they come, sing whatever's on their heart. Your pastor, Brother Kevin, if you don't mind, brother, come on. I, I want to say thank you for letting me preach to you tonight. I don't know of anything better to tell you than the cross. This blessed old Bible's a hymn book. It's all about him and his work of redemption on behalf of sinners. Do you know Christ tonight? Do you know this free pardon that God gives to those who turn from sin and look to him by faith? If you don't tonight, I want to say to you, the doors of heaven are wide open if you'll come to him. Whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness and your grace, your mercy. Thank you for the riches of the gospel. Thank you for the preaching that this church has heard this week. Thank you, God, for using this church in my life. Lord, I don't know of a better way to close out this Bible conference than to just come and gather around in appreciation for the cross and your work of redemption. We're a people that's been bought with a price, sealed. God, your reputation is tied up in our salvation, and you won't lose a one of us. What a blessing it is to know that tonight. Pray you'd have your way in this remainder of service. As the pastor comes, God, I pray that you'd give him liberty to lead as he should. Thank you for these preachers tonight that are here. I pray for their churches. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in their life. Thank you for my family tonight. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for this privilege to come down to Mississippi and preach what we're preaching up in North Carolina. In Jesus' name.